Chapter 31 of Hands of Iceland by Victor Hugo. Translated by Abby Langdon Alger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Chapter 31. Hush, hush. Here comes a man climbing down a ladder. Oh, yes, he is a spy. Heaven could grant me no greater favor than to let me offer you my life. I am yours. But tell me, for mercy's sake, to whom does this arm belong? To a count from Barcelona. What count? What is it? General, one of the enemy's spies. Whence come you? I came here, little dreaming what I should find, little thinking what I should see. Lope de Vega, La Fuerza Lastimosa. There is something desolate and forbidding in the aspect of a bare, flat region when the sun has set, when one is alone, when, as he walks, he tramples the dry grass beneath his feet, the dead brown leaves drop rustling from the trees, he hears the monotonous cry of the cricket, and sees huge, shapeless clouds sink slowly on the horizon, like dead ghosts. Such were Ordner's gloomy reflections on the night of his vain encounter with the Iceland robber. Startled by his abrupt disappearance, he at first tried to pursue him, but he lost his way in the heather, and wandered all day through a wild and uncultivated country, where he found no trace of man. At nightfall he was in a vast plain, stretching to the horizon on every side, where there seemed no hope of shelter for the young traveller exhausted by fatigue and hunger. It would have been a slight relief if his bodily suffering had not been aggravated by mental distress. But all was over. He had reached his journey's end without accomplishing his purpose. He could not even cherish those foolish illusions of hope which had urged him to pursue the monster, and now that nothing was left to sustain his courage, countless discouraging thoughts, for which he had hitherto had no room, assailed him. What could he do? How could he return to Schumacher unless he could take with him Ethel's salvation? What was the frightful nature of the misfortune which the possession of the fatal casket would prevent, and what of his marriage to Ulrika Dahlefeld? If he could only free his Ethel from her undeserved captivity, if he could fly with her and enjoy uninterrupted happiness in some distant exile. He wrapped himself in his mantle and threw himself upon the ground. The sky was dark, a tempestuous light ever and anon appeared in the clouds as if through a veil of crape, and then vanished. A cold wind swept across the plain. The young man scarcely heeded these signs of an immediate and violent storm, and besides, even could he have found shelter from the tempest and a place to rest from his fatigues, could he have found a spot where he might avoid his misery or rest from thought? All at once confused sounds of men's voices fell upon his ear. In surprise, he rose upon his elbow, and perceived at some distance a number of shadowy forms moving through the darkness. He looked again. A light shone in the midst of the mysterious group, and Ordner, with astonishment which may easily be imagined, saw the weird forms sink one after the other into the centre of the earth, until all had disappeared. Ordner was above the superstitions of his age and country. His serious and mature mind knew none of those vain beliefs, those strange terrors which torture the childhood of a race as well as the childhood of a man. And yet there was something supernatural about this singular vision which filled him with devout distrust against his better judgment, for who can tell whether the spirits of the dead may not sometimes return to earth? He rose, made the sign of the cross, and walked toward the spot where the apparition vanished. Big drops of rain now began to fall, his cloak filled like a sail, and the feather in his cap, beaten by the wind, flapped in his face. He stopped suddenly. A flash of lightning revealed just at his feet a large round well, into which he must inevitably have fallen headlong 
had it not have been for this friendly warning. He approached the abyss. A faint light was visible at a fearful depth, and cast a red glow over the bottom of this huge opening in the bowels of the earth. The light, which seemed like a magic fire kindled by elves, only increased the immeasurable darkness which the eye was forced to pierce before reaching it. The dauntless youth leaned over the abyss and listened. A distant murmur of voices rose to his ear. He no longer doubted that the beings, who had so strangely appeared and disappeared before his very eyes, had plunged into this gulf, and he felt an unconquerable desire, doubtless because it was so fated, to follow them, even should he pursue spectres to the mouth of hell. Moreover, the tempest now burst with fury, and this hole would afford him a shelter. But how was he to descend? What road had those he longed to follow taken, if indeed they were not phantoms? A second flash came to his aid, and showed him at his feet a ladder leading into the depths of the well. It consisted of a strong upright beam, crossed at regular intervals by short iron bars for the hands and feet of those who might venture into the gulf below. Ordner did not hesitate. He swung himself boldly down upon the dreadful ladder, and plunged into the abyss without knowing whether it reached the bottom or not, without reflecting that he might never again see the sun. Soon he could only distinguish the sky from the darkness overhead by the bluish flashes which lit it up at brief intervals. Soon the rain pouring in torrents upon the surface of the earth reached him merely as a fine, vaporous mist. Then the whirlwind, rushing violently into the well, was lost above him in a prolonged moan. He went down and down, and yet seemed scarcely nearer to the subterranean light. He went on without losing heart, never looking below, lest he should become dizzy and fall. However, the air becoming more and more stifling, the sound of voices more and more distinct, and the purplish glow which began to tinge the walls of the pit warned him that he was not far from the bottom. He descended a few more rounds, and saw plainly at the foot of the ladder the entrance to an underground passage lighted by a flickering red flame, while his ear caught words which won his entire attention. "'Cannibal does not come,' said an impatient voice. "'What can detain him?' repeated the same voice after a brief pause. "'No one knows, Mr. Hackett,' was the reply." He intended to spend the night with his sister, Mazabal, in the village of Serb, added a different voice. You see, rejoined the first speaker, I keep my promises. I agreed to bring Hans of Iceland for your leader. I have brought him. An indistinct murmur followed these words. Ordner's curiosity, already aroused by the name of Kennybol, who had so astonished him the night before, was redoubled at the name of Hans of Iceland. The same voice continued. My friends, Jonas, Norbith, what matters it if Cannibal is late? There are enough of us. We need fear nothing. Did you find your standards at Crag Ruins? Yes, Mr. Yes, Mr. Hackett, Hackett, replied several voices. Well, raise your banners. It is high time. Here is gold. Here is your invincible chief. Courage. March to the rescue of the noble Schumacher, the unfortunate Count Griffenfeld. Hurrah! Hurrah! For Schumacher! repeated many voices, and the name of Schumacher echoed and re-echoed from the subterranean arches. Ordner, more and more curious, more and more amazed, listened, hardly daring to breathe. He could neither believe nor understand what he heard. Schumacher connected with Cannibal and Hans of Iceland. What was this dark drama, one scene in which he, an unsuspected spectator, had witnessed? Whose life did they wish to shield? Whose head was at stake? In me continued the same voice, you see the friend and confidant of the noble Count Griffenfeld. The voice was wholly unfamiliar to Ordner. It went on. Put implicit trust in me, as he does. 
Friends, everything is in your favor. You will reach Trondheim without meeting an enemy. Let us be off, Mr. Hackett, interrupted a voice. Peters told me that he saw the whole regiment from Munkholm marching through the mountain passes to attack us. He deceived you, replied the other in authoritative tones. The government as yet knows nothing of your revolt, and it is so wholly unsuspicious that the man who rejected your just complaints, your oppressor, the oppressor of the illustrious and unfortunate Schumacher, General Levin de Knut, has left Trondheim for the capital, to join in the festivities on the occasion of the marriage of his ward, Ordner Guldenlev, and Ulrika Dahlefeld. Ordner's feelings may be imagined. To hear all these names which interested him so deeply, and even his own, uttered by unknown voices in this wild, desolate region, in this mysterious tunnel, a frightful thought pierced his soul. Could it be true? Was it indeed an agent of Count Griffenfeld whose voice he heard? What? Could Schumacher, that venerable old man, his noble Ethel's noble father, revolt against his royal master, hire brigands and kindle a civil war? And it was for this hypocrite, this rebel, that he, the son of the Norwegian viceroy, the pupil of General Levin, had compromised his future and risked his life. It was for his sake that he had sought and fought with that Iceland bandit, with whom Schumacher seemed to be in league, since he placed him at the head of these scoundrels. Who knows but that casket for which he, Ordner, was on the point of shedding his life-blood, contained some of the base secrets of this vile plot, or had the revengeful prisoner of Munkholm made a fool of him? Perhaps he had found out his name. Perhaps, and this thought was painful indeed to the generous youth, he wished to ruin the son of an enemy by urging him to this fatal journey. Alas, when we have long loved and revered the name of an unfortunate man, when in our secret soul we have vowed everlasting devotion to his misfortunes, it is bitter to be repaid with ingratitude, to feel that we are forever disenchanted with generosity, and that we must renounce the pure sweet joys of loyal self-sacrifice. We grow old in an instant with the most melancholy form of old age. We grow old in experience, and we lose the most beautiful illusion of a life whose only beauty lies in its illusions. Such were the dispiriting thoughts that crowded confusedly upon Ordner's mind. The noble youth longed to die at that instant. He felt that his happiness had vanished. True, there were many things in the assertions of the man who described himself as Griffenfeld's envoy which struck him as false or doubtful. But these statements, being only meant to deceive a set of poor rustics, Schumacher was but the more guilty in his eyes, and this same Schumacher was his Ethel's father. These reflections agitated him the more violently, because they all thronged upon him at once. He reeled against the rounds of the ladder on which he stood, and listened still, for we sometimes wait with inexplicable impatience and fearful eagerness for the misfortunes which we dread the most. Yes, added the voice of the envoy, you are to be commanded by the much-dreaded hands of Iceland. Who will dare resist you? You fight for your wives and your children, basely despoiled of their inheritance, for a noble and unfortunate man, who for twenty years has languished unjustly in an infamous prison. Come, for Schumacher and liberty await you. Death to tyrants! Death! Death! Repeated a thousand voices, and the clash of arms rang through the winding cave, mingled with the hoarse note of the mountaineer's horn. Stop, cried Ordener. He hurriedly descended the remainder of the ladder, for the idea that he might save Schumacher from committing a crime and spare his country untold misery had taken entire possession of him. But as he stood at the mouth of the cave, fear lest he might destroy his Ethel's father, and perhaps his Ethel herself, by rash invectives, took the place of every other consideration, and he remained rooted to the spot, 
pale and casting an amazed glance at the singular scene before him it was like a vast square in some underground city whose limits were lost amid endless columns supporting the vaulted roof these pillars glittered like crystal in the rays of countless torches borne by a multitude of men armed with strange weapons and scattered in confusion about the cave from all these points of light and all these fearful figures straying among the shadows it might have passed for one of the legendary gatherings described by ancient chroniclers an assembly of wizards and demons bearing stars for torches and illuminating antique groves and ruined castles by night a prolonged shout arose a stranger kill him kill him a hundred arms were raised to strike ordener down he put his hand to his side in search of his sword noble youth in his generous ardor he had forgotten that he was alone and unarmed stay stay cried a voice the voice of one whom ordener recognized as schumacher's envoy he was a short stout man dressed in black with a deceitful smile he advanced toward ordener saying who are you ordener made no answer he was threatened on every side and there was not an inch of his breast uncovered by a sword point or the mouth of a pistol <laughs> are you afraid asked the little man with a sneer if your hand were upon my heart instead of these swords coldly answered ordener you would see that it beats no faster than your own if indeed you have a heart aha said the little man so you defy us well then let him die and he turned his back give me death returned ordener it is the only thing that i would accept from you one moment mr hackett said an old man with a thick beard who stood leaning on a long musket you are my guest and i alone have the right to send this fellow to tell the dead what he has seen mr hackett laughed <laughs> faith my dear jonas let it be as you please it matters little to me who judges this spy so long as he is condemned the old man turned to ordener come tell us who you are since you are so boldly curious to know who we are ordener was silent surrounded by the strange allies of that schumacher for whom he would so willingly have shed his blood he felt only an infinite longing to die his worship will not answer said the old man when the fox is caught he cries no more kill him my brave jonas rejoined hackett let this man's death be hans of iceland's first exploit among you yes yes, yes cried many voices ordener astounded but still undaunted looked about him for hans of iceland with whom he had so valiantly disputed his life that very morning and saw with increased surprise a man of colossal size dressed in the garb of the mountaineers this giant stared at ordner with brutal stupidity and called for an axe you are not hans of iceland emphatically exclaimed ordner kill him kill him cried hackett angrily ordner saw that he must die he put his hand in his bosom to draw out his ethel's hair and give it one last kiss as he did so a paper fell from his belt what is that paper asked hackett norbit seize that paper norbit was a young man whose stern dark features bore the stamp of true nobility he picked up the paper and unfolded it good god he exclaimed it is the passport of my poor friend christopher nedlam that unfortunate fellow who was beheaded not a week ago in skongen marketplace for coining counterfeit money well said hackett in a disappointed tone you may keep the bit of paper i thought it was something more important come my dear hans dispatch your man young norbit threw himself before ordener crying this man is under my protection 
My head shall fall before you touch a hair of his. I will not suffer the safe conduct of my friend Christopher Nedlam to be violated. Ordener, so miraculously preserved, hung his head and felt humiliated, for he remembered how contemptuously he had inwardly received Chaplain Athanasius Munder's touching prayer. May the gift of the dying benefit the traveller. Pooh, pooh, said Hackett. You talk nonsense, good Norbith. The man is a spy. He must die. Give me my axe, repeated the giant. He shall not die, cried Norbith. What would the spirit of my poor Nedland say, whom they hung in such cowardly fashion? I tell you, he shall not die, for Nedlam will not let him die. As far as that goes, said old Jonas, Norbith is right. Why should we kill this stranger, Mr. Hackett? He has Christopher Nedlam's pass. But he is a spy, a spy, repeated Hackett. The old man took his stand with the young one at Ordner's side, and both said quietly, He has the pass of Christopher Nedlam, who was hung at Skongen. Hackett saw that he must needs submit, for all the others began to murmur and to say that this stranger should not die as he had the safe conduct of Nedlam the counterfeiter. Very well, he hissed through his teeth with concentrated rage. Then let him live. After all, it is your business and not mine. If he were the devil himself, I would not kill him, said the triumphant Norbith. With these words, he turned to Ordner. Look here, he added. You must be a good fellow, as you have my poor friend Nedlam's pass. We are the royal miners. We have rebelled to rid ourselves of the protectorate of the crown. Mr. Hackett here says that we have taken up arms for a certain Count Schumacher, but I for one know nothing about him. Stranger, our cause is just. Hear me, and answer as if you were answering your patron saint. Will you join us? An idea flashed through Ordner's mind. Yes, replied he. Norbith offered him a sword, which Ordner silently accepted. Brother, said the youthful leader, if you mean to betray us, begin by killing me. At this instant the sound of the horn rang through the arched galleries of the mine, and distant voices were heard exclaiming, Here, Here comes, comes Cannibal! End of chapter 31